Weirdo bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. genre junkies it's sandra and this is scott ah we're back with another book review and i'm very proud to present the title this week because this is my birthday week happy birthday thank you thank you everyone (laughs) scott being everyone oh the cat Uh, the cat is cheering as well and the snake is cheering Yay, Mom! Yay, Mom! <laughs> um, I was really, really excited to pick this book. Um, surprisingly, not a horror book for my birthday, but you know we do love our fantasy, and this book was just really, really calling to me to be read and to be discussed. And sometimes you just gotta listen to that intuition, especially around your birthday. Yeah, so this week we are going to be talking about Circe by Madeline Miller. Um, And of course, I know there's different ways to pronounce Circe. We're going with Circe because that's the way I learned it. And that's the way, like, as much as I try to do different pronunciations, I I just can't make it stick. Yeah, I've heard it as Circe as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hard for me to say. I don't know why. That's what I I know. Yes. So have you um, done or watched anything cool or read anything or played anything that you want to share with the peepers? I mean, actually, yeah. I mean, I guess we're just not going to talk about the fact that we didn't review a book in the entire month of November. <laughs> well, that's, well, I mean, we talked about that, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I have, actually. Um, I've been playing uh, a game from... I don't know, 2016, 2017, called Horizon Zero Dawn. I didn't know it was older. Yeah, it's it's been out for a while. It came out at the same time as uh, Breath of the Wild, Zelda, actually. And I've owned it since then, and I have <laughs> never played it until now. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that game is so good. It's like a sci-fi fantasy uh, mix up with, mm-hmm. like, you know, spiritualism as well as uh, giant robots. It's post-apocalyptic-y, too? It is post-apocalyptic Yeah. Um, it's kind of post-post-apocalyptic, <laughs> if that makes sense. There were so many apocalypses ago. <laughs> Feels like 2020, but I'm ching. Yeah, but the game is beautiful. The story is fantastic. Ashley Birch voice acting as the main character is outstanding. And even Sandra, overhearing, noticed another voice actor in there. My God is my beloved, my beloved Papa Legba from American <laughs> Horror Story. And I'm like, I know him at 20 paces. <laughs> it's Papa Legba? I thought it I thought it was um Papa Legba. Oh I thought oh, okay. That makes sense. I thought that it was um Dr. Facilier. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with all of my occult boyfriends from <laughs> fiction. That's fair. That's very fair. No, um, I just, and they even animated it to look like him, to look like the actor too. And it was very like, oh my God, that's like totes him. Yeah. It, it's really, it's a really good game. I highly recommend it. If you have the opportunity to play it on a PS4 or the brand new PS5, if you got your hands on one of them. Scott um, has not. Please send him one. Yeah. Please send me one of those, an Xbox, any of it. Yeah, I mean, I'll settle for either one. <laughs> 
Well, let's see. I've been keeping busy watching stuff for the cult show and for Spooky Slumber Party a little bit. Trying to think if there's anything that I haven't haven't touched. You haven't reviewed. Yeah. Well, I can say that um coming up on the cult show episode, which is of course podcast and uh a YouTube channel that um, we are going to be doing my birthday celebration and talking about the 80s classic horror film, Waxwork, which is one of my favorite 80s horror movies. It's like, it's high up there. Um, It's so funny. It's so silly. Um, It's weird and quirky and it kind of embraces that about itself, but it actually has some really cool gore and makeup. Um, yeah, so it was really fun to talk about that movie I've loved since I was a young teen. And then it also has, like, some really overt erotic scenes as well. I couldn't believe that it's been 14 years, 15 years, Who knows? And, and I just saw this movie for the first time. You just showed it to me for the first I time. I don't know why I didn't think about There's so many movies that you still have to see. And I, I told Scott, too, I'm like, I saw this, like, recently. I watched this, like, <laughs> recently and didn't think to, like, invite him in on it. I don't know. I don't know. Someone help me. Anyway. Um, so very excited. I think that personally birthdays are something to be celebrated. I love celebrating other people's birthdays with them too, because, um, being alive is a gift and aging is a gift that not everybody gets. And unfortunately in scary times, like a pandemic, we're really reminded of that. So I think it's really important to, to celebrate those milestones, your trip around the sun. I really appreciate that optimism and and positivity. Why do you think I like birthdays so much? (laughs) You know what else is good about birthdays? Funfetti cake. Funfetti cake. (laughs) I miss things that like are from like the early 90s, like our childhood birthdays, like funfetti cake, balloons. You remember balloons before we all realized how horrible balloons yeah, are we for can't the planet. have helium anymore well and there's there is none and i mean just the the balloon itself i mean you know yeah. things eat them they end up wherever they end up like there's so many things that it's like oh man that ignorance was bliss i wish someone could make a permanent mylar balloon one with absolutely no leaks whatsoever and you could just keep your helium balloon forever yes and not have to feel guilty and about then you it. just get buried with it or burned with it <laughs> <laughs> your life just send me up, send me up into the sky when I die. <laughs> thinking about that with like some of my things that I really like that are plastic, and like I just stare at them sometimes, and I'm like, I, yeah, I think I've got to have it like, go with me when I die because otherwise, this piece of plastic is going to travel the earth for forty million years. <laughs> anyway, that's that's the twenty first century version of a of a mummy in its <laughs> in its pyramid. Just yeah. bury me with all my plastic. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll just, I'm sorry. I'll just take it with me. I'll just, nobody else has to worry about it. I'm just going to take it. Um, okay. Let's talk about this wonderful, wonderful novel. Spoiler alert. I'm calling it wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> and that would be Circe by Madeline Miller. 
In the house of Helios, god of the sun and mightiest of the titans, a daughter is born. But Circe is a strange child, not powerful like her father, nor viciously alluring like her mother. Turning to the world of mortals for companionship, she discovers that she does possess power, the power of witchcraft, which can transform rivals into monsters and menace the gods themselves. I can't, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the plot as we go. But basically, what you need to know about this novel is it is a reimagination. Um, Miller did use some source materials, uh, but it's a reimagination of this character from Greek mythology, this goddess, Circe, who um, I believe they say it in here is like one of the first accounts in like Western civilization of witchcraft which is like so freaking cool and about her life. I, and, and, you know, cause she pops up in a lot of those, you know, a lot of those old stories, uh, the Odyssey and, and things yeah. like that. And, mm-hmm. and I was surprised by how much I remembered about those stories oh, when really? reading this book. Okay. Well, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, We'll, we'll put a pin in that. Uh, let me just say my experience reading this book was an absolute unabashed obsession. I'm I, Coming as no surprise to me. Yeah, I, I absolutely adored it. I am a huge, huge fan of Greek mythology. It um, means a lot to me. I hold it very dear to my heart. Um, maybe I'll save my, my Circe story for the spoiler section, make people, make people stay around for it. Okay. But ever since I was like, oh gosh, maybe in fourth grade and I read Dual Ares book of Greek myth for the first time, which is a beautiful book of Greek myths, um, pretty watered down for kids and beautifully illustrated. And it just like set my heart on fire with falling in love with this pantheon. So I... And then her writing is astounding. It, this book is incredibly well, well written. And I just loved the way that Circe's just in, in entire, like the way her thought process and the way that she moves through life, as it were. I'm This book was a good read. And I want to clarify what I mean by that. Um, this was like stepping into a cool shower on a sweltering hot day. <laughs> This was like very, this was like very a, specific. This was like a, a a hot chocolate on a winter snow. It was just like so soothing and friendly and calming and lovely mm. that it just I didn't want it to end because it just it soothed the soul. Yes. And that's why I'm calling it a good read. It was just just so nice. <laughs> I think I get what you're saying. And the last like 100 pages um, was really hard for me to face. And then like the last 70 pages and then the last 30 pages, you know, because I really didn't want the story to end. And I was so, so emotionally invested in it that it was like painful to like end it. But, you know, at the same time, it's like I have to know how it ends. Yeah. 
This is a reread book for sure. Oh my God. Absolutely. This will be reread many times, many times for me. And something that I find uh, really nice about this book as well is that the chapters are set up in such a way where I feel like I could just read a chapter sometimes. Like I want to read about this point in her life. Yes, 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 yes. And it's not set up where each chapter is its own book. It's not like that. Right. But, But each chapter is kind of its own period if that makes sense right and i yeah and i think it's you know it's kind of like well it's mythology right where you're like um there's these stories and these lessons or whatever and for these immortal beings that are alive for you know in this story thousands of years and so yeah it is kind of naturally like this is when Cersei does this thing or meets that person and um, Miller has this beautiful way of taking those connections of what we know about Cersei and her her family and other myths and stuff and you know bringing all these other beloved characters from Greek mythology into the story it's really, really cool. It's almost like you reading it and you're getting so excited about who who's gonna come who's gonna come by next. It's rare that I read a book that has such an alien experience like this as well. Hmm. Um there's lots of books where where the characters are very, you know, abnormal or have strange um strange desires and designs mm. but it's very rare where the whole experience the whole idea of how life is lived and how they think is so alien from us yes and, and this really captures that that experience of what it would be like to be immortal yeah i i think so too i think um as far as a lot of other things i've read that have a similar vibe her interpretation is very different and is very unique. Um, of course, it being me, um, I got a lot of shades and a lot of feelings of Anne Rice. Oh. You know, because any, anytime something is just this lusciously beautiful, descriptive, painterly words set in, you know, a period and especially about, you know, magical beings. Like, that's obviously, like, that's going to feel very Anne to me. But at the same time, like, Madeline's totally her own person, like, totally her own writer, and these these guys are their own characters, too. Mm -hmm. Gosh. I mean, if you have any, um, if you have any knowledge of Roman or Greek uh, mythology, Mm -hmm. some of these stories are going to be very familiar, yes. but they're told in a way that is very personal Ugh. and from the perspective of Circe. Right. And it really brings a lot of these characters that you know about their adventures and you know about their, you know, their conquests and, 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 yeah. and their defeats in a totally different light. Yes. Um, I, I totally, I totally see that. And I agree. Um, Prometheus was especially poignant and her meeting him happens early in the book when she's still um, like a kid, basically. They didn't explain exactly how God's age, but I think it takes like, my imagining is like it takes a couple thousand years before you even get like a year older. I don't know exactly. You know what I mean? It goes by in in like a, a different, they measure it in a different passage of time than we do. So there's not really a way I think we can equate it. 
the there isn't, and that's that kind of comes into some of the the alienness of it. it mm-hmm. You know, in a lot of respects, it's also it's kind of presented where you're never really a child, like you are, but then suddenly. You're not. You're not. Right. And that's kind of true to different mythologies as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I liked all of the different interweavings of meeting these characters and seeing it through Cersei's gaze because she's not like her family. She is not like the other gods and titans. and But she's not like totally like a mortal either. She She's very much kind of touching all these different worlds and it's really the novel is about her finding her place in, in the scheme of things. But um, yeah, I think seeing Prometheus through her eyes really set a tone for me with this book of like, oh, oh, I see what we're we're doing here. All right. I think um, we are going to give our appeal score and then hop over to the spoiler section. So um, this novel is very popular. Uh, it was number one New York Times bestseller. It is very beloved. Um, this is 100% an absolute mass appeal. Without question. Yeah. Um, no, it's not going to work for every single person who tries it on, but <laughs> it is It is a mass appeal because it has such beautiful, poignant things to say about life. It has everything. It has adventure. It has romance. It has uh scary stuff a little yeah yeah and and at the end of the day it's very philosophical which i think really so greek hella greek (laughs) i think that that appeals to a lot of people too is is a philosophy that's presented in in a story such as this cool i'm glad i'm glad we uh we agree on that so we're gonna dissect the novel a little bit more and i will tell you all um why i love circe Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Okay, welcome back to the spoiler section, birthday edition. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sandra, you said that you had a story for all of us about your experiences with Cersei. I do, and this is a little a little corny, um, but bear with me. So, I, I mentioned how Greek mythology is something very near and dear to my heart. Um, Greco-Roman culture, ancient Greco-Roman culture, is huge to me is um something i love and hold very dearly on so many different levels um you may or may not know i have vini vidi vici which is of course roman <laughs> uh, caesar augustus tattooed on my arm i got it after i did my first half marathon um and no, I'm not saying I agree with everything the man did or all, <laughs> all the policies of ancient Greek and Greece and Rome, but it's always been um, something that I have really strongly identified and felt called to. So most of us have a unit or two in high school and middle school where you learn about Greek mythology because that stuff is very important to the world of literature and to storytelling and then to philosophy and stuff as well. So 
I already went into my eighth grade unit knowing quite a lot because I was already so into it, you know, for many years at that point. And we did this thing where everybody like in the entire eighth grade practically like um, got assigned a character from Greek mythology. And it was um, not quite like a pageant, but like you were assigned that character and you had to research them and you had to like tell like the story of them to the class you all know amanda my sister of course is on the show a lot back when it was she's a few years older than me a couple years older than me and back when she did it they actually did a pageant where they had like to dress up and they had to like be in character almost like a ren fest and like they had little booths and games and like your family and friends come and i was really bummed that we didn't do it that way but anyway so when i was in eighth grade that was a horrible time to be alive um <laughs> for every for everyone i mean there's times in that middle school age that is just it's it's most people you talk to it's like yeah that was awful that was awful <laughs> um and i'm no exception and it was really bad and i was really really struggling and i didn't even know how uh to say i was struggling and i was very different than the other children and in my english class i had no friends I had no friends and I had friends, but none of them were in that class with me. And um, I was teased because I was different, you know, weird little grungy goth kid, very bookish. Um, and it was very, very hard for me. And my teacher assigned me Circe for my character to learn about. And she said that Circe is like this feminist icon she's a very powerful witchy woman who you know kind of like owns a lot of like her power and her sensuality and you know like her confidence and stuff and i was like and obviously she probably gave me that character for a reason mm -hmm. and so i was so excited to learn about her and i really fell in love with her and um earlier this year I found a company called Common Era, um, and I'll post a picture on Instagram and tag them. And they make these beautiful, sustainable um, pieces of jewelry that depict different goddesses, especially from the Greco-Roman pantheon and other I don't know, other cool jewelry, <laughs> like for femme identifying people. And they're made very ethically and you know responsibly and there was a little quiz where it was like oh which you know which one matches your personality like for fun and i didn't know much about the company i was like well i love every greek like goddess and person so i'll just take it and i got cersei i didn't even know she was an option <laughs> and i they are not cheap these are really nice pieces of jewelry but um i had some money set aside and they take payments FYI. <laughs> and I was, I told, this is not an advertisement. No, but it's you should not. Check them out. And I told Scott, I was like, I have, to, I have to have this. I have to have this. And I wear it a lot. So Cersei, um, you know, came preloaded to me this novel as like, it would have to be really bad for me to not like it. But I'm so happy for this to be my birthday episode and that I get to share this with you guys, this character that I love so much and getting to see her um, really in this light and getting to have so much uh, of the spotlight. 
So I'm curious, since we're in the spoiler section, I want to talk about the parts of this that I did not have a frame of reference for. And I'm curious if this was, because okay. you know a little bit more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, my knowledge of Circe, I mean, it was fairly light, but was pretty much from, um, pretty much from Odysseus. Uh-huh. And then I, I felt like I remembered a couple of other things about, about her son that maybe, um, maybe was presented differently in the book that I, 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 um, maybe remembering correctly or maybe misremembering, mm-hmm. but I don't remember a lot of the stuff from the beginning. Right. Is that, is there stuff in there that has been written in some of those legends or? Yes. So, okay, let me kind of explain it. And this is actually something I, I have to refer to Madeline Miller for this because she's a better person at um, wording it than I. Um, she had four major sources for this. She had Homer's Odyssey, which covered Circe's meeting with Odysseus. She had Ovid's um, Metamorphosis, which gave the love triangle with Circe, Glaucus, and Scylla. Oh. Um, Apollonius of Rhodes' Argonautica, which provided the Jason and Medea episode and the lost um, epic of Telegony, which we have only in summary. So she took kind of these pieces and wove a lot. Um, and she took some things that Homer said about the dread goddess who speaks like a mortal, which is Circe. And she kind of wove, I'm like literally moving my hand, she wove this tapestry. So it was kind of like there was crumbs there for uh-huh. her to follow. And she she fleshed it out because it's a beautiful story it all of the myths and all of the characters coming together is seamless to me yeah right because you have a character that is set on a deserted island for the most part and that is a freaking challenge for a writer and yet somehow she manages to have a full character arc as alien as it is because she's starting from uh from just complete ignorance of the world yeah. And, yes. and what she wants and what and that she should even want. Oh, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And, you know, the relationships she has with her family really, really sets the tone from the beginning of how different she is than them. Um, and like I said in the first part, this is really her struggle to find herself and to not be living for anyone but herself. And finding that, okay, she's not like the Olympians. She's not like the Titans. She's not like the mortals. And, you know, kind of finding all of the the good things, the pros and cons about all of those races. Um, there was some fun things, like I told you. I laughed out loud when I, I read um, when her siblings are kind of all scattering to the winds. And Persis says something to the degree of like, I hear they have these things called demons. I think I'd like to see one. And like, it just made me like, I don't know, just one of those trivial, funny things that a God would say like that. Um, I love, love, love. There's an omnist feel to this book too, which is omnist is <laughs> to put it really. That's a new word for me. You never heard the word omnist? No. That's when you believe in everything. Okay. That's when you just believe in everything. And I don't mean that in a bad way. And that's a simplified way of putting it. But it's like you can believe that multiple divinities and pantheons and things can exist at one time, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really cool. A lot of um, my fellow witches and practitioners are on this. 
And because there's actually even a point when when they refer to one of her brothers, I believe, falling yeah. in love with uh with an Ethiopian oh, Ethiopian god, I think it was. Yeah, um, they talk about a, a little bit of that, like with um, the, and they talk about the gods in the north, and like you know, kind of this. I mean, it's basically the Ouroboros, a snake devouring its tail, and they're mm-hmm. they're kind of making a like you know um, Norse kind of reference and stuff. But yeah, and then there's like these people over here that are working with demons, and, like <laughs> Egyptians, and all this stuff. And I love this idea. And, oh, and later in the book too, when they travel, they're under they're like basically going under these other pantheons who have no idea about her. And I love that so much that like all of these pantheons are just existing simultaneously and things are so unchangeable in their realm you know but it's like there's worlds going on around you but they're all just kind of blind to it you know it's very centric well especially with the gods who are so selfish like they're so they're very self-centered they care about their own little world and their yeah. own little existence and care very little for oh. anything else. And they manipulate you so like the way they come like, oh no, it's surprise how much the mortal will beg. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 you can you can absolutely understand where if you know if all of the other pantheons exist, why they don't even really care to even talk about them. No, because they're it's just like not important to them. That's... They're they're moving their own little pawns across the board. Yeah. Um I have to say I was completely delighted with the portrayal of Athena. Athena was great. Loved her so so much. Hermes is a favorite god of mine. And, you know, he's <laughs> he's not painted in the best light in this, but that's okay. I mean, they're, you know, one of the points is that these infernal beings are neither good nor evil. They have a lot of selfishness, mm-hmm. but they're um they do their whims and they do what they want to do. But um I really did enjoy the portrayal of Hermes a lot. He, he was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, Prometheus was really huge to me because, I mean, I, I like the concept of a Promethean figure that gives knowledge to the people, you know, like a Luciferian sort of like vibe. Yeah. And that she gave him comfort and sustenance. It was her, it was, it was her first act of defiance even though she didn't recognize it as such yeah she she excused it in herself as being okay yeah but but it was her first act of defiance and her her first uh, moment of becoming her own person absolutely i mean there's um, her interaction with him shapes her entire experience right it's really it's a really really beautiful passage that's revisited a little bit throughout the novel um this is such a beautiful, beautiful feminist text, too. And so, so many ways. Um, uh, dealing with sexual assault was so, I feel, powerfully and gracefully handled. I agree. Um, as we discussed just a few weeks ago, that is a, a trigger for me. Yeah. I don't feel that it was triggering in this book. In a way, it was... it. So what I what I appreciated about it is it is something that happened and she did do things because it happened. Yes. But it was not a point in her character progression. It didn't shape who she was. I think I see what you mean. And there's always something about taking a trauma and using it. Yes. Um like a lot of people 
really identify these days with Medusa for some of the same reasons of, you know, kind of like she had to, you know, get done or be victimized by men. And um, I think that that's, you know, like Cersei had to learn that the <laughs> these mortals that she has a lot of, you know, fascination and love for, they're, they're not to be fully trusted. And you have to kind of keep your guard and you have to know when to, you have to know when to hold them. <laughs> know when to fold them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I told you I knew who your favorite character was in this book. Wait, yes. Can I make my prediction? I would like to hear your prediction. Daedalus. Oh, okay. You're right. <laughs> I I really wasn't sure who you were referring to at that point. 100% I Daedalus. wanted more Daedalus. He, there wasn't a lot of Daedalus in this book. We want more Daedalus. He was great. He was really great. He, I, I consider him to be Cersei's true love in this book. <laughs> I agree. Regardless of what happened at the end, which, you know, was was beautiful and nice and you know, she 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 lived her mortal life. Yep. But um I feel like Daedalus was her one true love. I agree. And I think it was because they were two beings that really needed each other when they found each other and had a connection without any pretense. Um they were really kind of equals. Yes. Yeah. And he was so, he was presented so lovingly as this incredibly brilliant engineer, a hardworking person, a good person, but fallible. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this just has Scott just dripping off of it, you know? I'm not even interested in making fabric, and I want that loom. I, I actually... I do want a loom and I've wanted one for a while. Um, I don't know where I'm going to put it. So I don't have one yet, <laughs> but I want a loom and this did not help. Speaking of the loom. Yes. Um, I want to talk about the things that she had on her island and in her house and her garden. This was my favorite by far uh, depiction of a witch. Oh, yeah. It, 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 ever in a story. It's so real. It's very cottage core in a way. Oh my god, this is so predates cottage core, but yeah. But you know, it, you just you, I could picture her like garden on the side of her cabin, and you know, I I wanted to be out there pulling weeds with her, making pharmaca, <laughs> making pharmaca. There, I learned a lot of new words that I didn't realize were of Greek origin in this book. That's so cool. I, I mean, I know a lot of our language is of Greek oh, origin, of course, yeah. but it's so interesting how much of our language is pretty much directly Greek. I think it's probably pharmacae, too. Again, I don't... I'll never well, pretend actually, to know how to pronounce I know. Shit. Well, the, the, the pharmaca, <laughs> pharmacae, like, th there is actually, like, four or five different... Uh, yes, Ways to, ways to say it, you know, whether it was plural or was it, what it was referring to. It's just really interesting. I agree. This is a great depiction of a witch, somebody working with um, nature and, you know, kind of really like it's witchcraft is a craft. It is something that is worked at and practiced upon. And um, I think this was such a beautiful depiction of that and working with the land and the animals and having a harmony and a balance. And as a witch myself, I thought it was like for a grandmama witch, it was like, ah, perfect. She's describing it perfectly. 
And she passed it on, which was oh, one of my favorites. To things. another woman, which is so important. It, she it passed on to another woman who had the ability to pass it on to others as well. Yes. I love the idea. Like she said, you know, if you get lonely, just tell the gods to send the bad daughters. <laughs> and because I, I like that Cersei had that role. Um, she, she, disliked it the entire time yeah she wasn't built for it no but it was a good um it was a good device because it gave me a lot to think about about why a girl would be sent there and it is because they are obstinate and headstrong basically and so it's kind of and like Sandra's like yes, yes. <laughs> and so like penelope's a lot more geared towards dealing with that vibe but i like the idea of it's like yeah because you're a f-ing badass femme you gotta go here also love anything that doesn't have abrahamic um homophobic shaming there was a little bit of talk of achilles because madeline miller's wrote a book about achilles and um well her son is gay and like that people have different lovers and stuff. And I just, I ugh, love that so much because it's normalizing. Well, and I, I, from what I understand, it was pretty normalized in Greek culture. Yes. Greek and Roman culture and many other, many other cultures, you know, and it's really um, cool and important to like, I wouldn't say this is necessarily in, in my interpretation, like, gay literature but it's nice to have that reminder of that normalization that actually reminds me did you get did you get a little bit of the hint that her son might be gay at the end of the book he totally is gay that's totally what i got as well he didn't want to have children and he had his his bodyguard who was with him all the time i was like i wasn't sure if i was reading too much into that or if that was the implication he's one of the references to a few different people with same gender lovers in the book oh i hate that word lover but there's no <laughs> There's no other way to uh to put it. Um, one passage that I thought was very interesting and it's related to Daedalus was the Minotaur. Um, that the Minotaur made me giggle a lot. Um, because well, Scott's a Taurus, <laughs> my and we talk about like that he's the Minotaur sometimes. So it was kind of and like I bite your hands. <laughs> so it was kind of like I was a. <laughs> like really kind of projecting this little creature onto scott um but that having been said it's like you know my love of monsters i was like i'll take it i'll take the minotaur i really i have trouble pronouncing her siblings names yes but her sister the mother of the minotaur sure i there's very little swear words in this book yeah but i like how when she was talking to circe like that was the most like colloquial yes. the conversation was like she was she was throwing the f bomb and yeah. it was just like she was in the throes of birthing a minotaur. It's still, it's just very. It was like it was important. Yeah, the mortals in the book had much more of of a haughty talk to them than yeah. the immortals did. Yeah, they they were really just more like da- like you know, yeah. saying things kind of. Without all of the pretext, yes. I found that interesting. Um, very poignant. Great all choice. of <laughs> all of very poignant her relationships with her sibling, and of course, that's a big turning point in the way she views her sister. You know, a lot to be said about family, about parents, about um, found family, mm-hmm. about cutting out toxic people from your life. Um, of course, I was, you know. 
I knew where it was going with Glaucos, but I was like, oh, this f***ing guy, after all she did for you! And he friend-zoned her in the end. So not cool, even though he's kind of an awesome octopus creature. I liked the way that he was described. Um, it made me very sad that his true self was just so self-centered. and Yeah. But then again, that is... She was unique amongst the gods. Yeah. It turns you into like your opposite when you use like the the moly. It doesn't turn you into the opposite. That's one of the things that I liked about it. It really was a true self sort of thing. I guess when I say your opposite is it makes you divine if you're not divine and well, human yeah. if you are divine as she takes it. Um and I think that was, you know, it's a journey to get her to that point yeah. to deciding to be mortal. Um and all this, the wonderful agony and ecstasy that comes with mortality and kind of like, you know, because she'd been so, oh, it's it's this transformative thing to take this substance. And, you know, and I made these monsters and I did, you know, I made these gods and all of this stuff. And it's like really at her heart, she wanted to be true to herself. So then she becomes true to herself when she takes it. It's very poignant. It is. That's so poignant. Ah, uh, Madeline Miller, write 50 million more books. This absolutely fabulous story. Absolutely fabulously done. Um, beautiful. I I want to like I, I don't I I have never read through all of the Odyssey mm. in one go. I don't want to. Now I want to read this. What? I want this to be my 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 true experience in the way I think of yes. these stories. I love it. Read the Odyssey, though. It's wonderful. Um, (laughs) But I get it's a lot. It's a lot. Anyway, um, I'm so, so happy I read this book. Um, This book is just so poignant and powerful and beloved to me now. 100%, 110%. I don't know what to give it out of. 10 out of 10 pigs. (laughs) I wouldn't change a thing about it. I found it incredibly poignant and every time i reread it i know i'm going to take more and more away from it and have more and more to think about i am also giving it 10 out of 10 pigs uh fill the sty uh (laughs) (laughs) this is a beautiful perfect book this is going to be a reread this is going to be one of those rare rereads like i said i will just pick up and read a chapter just to let it wash over me because (laughs) it's it's a very very good book ah i love it thank you guys so much for celebrating my birthday with me happy birthday to you happy unbirthday to you uh thank you scott thank you sandra happy birthday oh thanks everyone (laughs) please keep reading past your bedtime (laughs) 